I have to confess, I do think that it's hard to show that we can choose. Thanks for joining us today. You're listening to Choose to be Curious, a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Welcome. Come, choose to be curious with us. What if we, you, me, don't actually have choice about curiosity, for instance, at all? And can one choose to be curious? At the risk of knocking my whole enterprise right off its rocker, that's where I want to go today. Whether we call it free will or simply a conversation about choosing, I want to poke the show's very premise. I choose to be curious about the very idea of choice in curiosity. And I can think of no finer partner for this exploration than today's guest. Asia Farron is a professor of philosophy at American University. Her primary research interests are in moral psychology, feminist philosophy, and ethics. She pursues projects that help us better understand our moral selves and moral interactions with others and explores questions about what makes people good or behave well, as, as well as what it means to be a good person or to act admirably. I knocked on her door one day and asked if she'd wade into this question of curiosity and choice with me. And I'm delighted she chose to say yes. So welcome, Asia. Oh, thank you, Lynn. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. So you work in moral philosophy, and you're currently thinking about choice and choosing with regard to moral decisions. What what drew you to morality in the first place? Oh, yeah. Let's see. I think I've kind of always been interested in morality, moral choices, uh, the moral world. Mm. Uh, growing up as a little kid, I remember being kind of really attuned to the plight of others and, and issues of fairness mm. in the world. Uh, and when I got to college, I started taking courses where we were exploring these questions really directly, right? really head on. Um, again, what is it that makes something right or wrong? Uh, what makes a person good or bad? Is there good or bad? Mm -hmm. uh, and so I became a philosophy major early on in my studies in college. Um, and I found that I was drawn to these courses because they gave me language to kind of understand yeah, right sure. or wrong and think through really interesting questions, right? So I think we all think about these things. Is lying morally permissible? Uh, if so, when? Uh, you know, where? Under what circumstances? Is it ever required of us? Are there times when we should lie? I ended up going to graduate school. I wanted to continue thinking about these things. And... Uh, there was a year where I was really floundering to figure out a dissertation topic. So I knew I wanted to be doing something in moral philosophy, but you're supposed to be much more focused, right? And, and like really pick a particular question to be curious about. And there are so many things out there that I'm curious about. So it was really hard to focus in. So what do we, what do we think we know about morality? Is it hardwired? Is oh, it learned? Uh, what do we know at this point? Yeah, good. Or think we know? Yeah, great. So this is actually the question that got me into my dissertation topic. Mm -hmm. So I ended up going to graduate school uh, with the support of mentors. 
And uh, in this period where I was kind of floundering or, or kind of desperately searching, I came across very randomly. I was reading, I think, the New York Times one day, uh, and I came across um, this research on infants and toddlers. And the research suggests or shows that they have moral concepts, mm. like three-month-olds. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yeah, super, very, very, very young. Uh, they have infants and toddlers in this psychological research um, actually at the University of Washington, where I did my PhD, they have them watch puppet shows uh-huh. where puppets either behave well or behave poorly. Oh, I think I've seen this uh, research. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. so fascinating. Uh, puppets are either fair or they're kind or unfair. And it looks like really, really young children recognize mm-hmm. fair behavior. Mm. They recognize when praise is appropriate or when punishment is inappropriate. And this does seem to suggest that morality, at least to some extent, is hardwired, mm-hmm. which at the time blew my mind. Mm. Uh, right? I mean, I think especially in philosophy, which is kind of a heady right, subject, uh, you know, we're, we're really thinking kind of in, in our heads a lot, right? right. Versus right. more empirical disciplines where you're, you uh-huh. know, on the ground collecting data or something like that. So I think it's r- really commonly presumed in philosophy that concepts in general, but maybe especially moral concepts, are um, acquired over time that we, you know, we learn them, uh, they're taught to us very explicitly, you know, maybe over years or even decades, and that they are something we have to really carefully think about and choose, Mm -hmm. right? And so again, I just, my mind was blown by this research suggesting, oh, no, we might not choose our Maybe moral concepts. Choose. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That uh, that this is kind of something that comes with the package. And and that's kind of one of the more foundational questions I've been researching ever since I discovered it. So that has implications for this question of curiosity as well, right? So mm-hmm. if some of these things are hardwired, then there's not choice going yeah. on. Yeah, good. Right. So then there's this question, can we choose anything? Right. Like right. This, this, I think some of this research leads us to this question, can we choose mm-hmm. anything? Mm-hmm. Can we choose moral concepts? Can we choose our personality? Can I, can I choose to lift this cup off the table? Right. Or is there, is it hardwired in us? Is it biological? Is it uh, predisposed? I am not going to answer this particular question. <laughs> can we choose? Right. And, and part of that is because, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a long, long debate in philosophy. Right. Lots of folks have weighed in. And I have to confess, I do think that it's hard to show that we can choose. So can yeah, we do so, yeah. a little, like a little bit of philosophical yeah, kind please, of background please, here? Yeah, please, please do. So the, there's a, there are lots of folks who think that we can't choose, that we uh-huh. don't have choice or we don't have free will. Right. And these folks um, are oftentimes called determinists. I mean, kind of here is, I think, the argument in a nutshell. Uh, look, we know that the physical world is determined, right? So if I if I hold this pen up off the table and I let go, we know that it is determined. It will necessarily... Gravity, gravity rules. Exactly. It will <laughs> drop, right? Uh-huh. And and there are lots of rules or, of, of nature or, or physics. And determinists say, well, well, we humans, we just are part of the physical world. Uh-huh. And so why would it be the case that we are somehow not controlled or determined right. by these laws, you know, but everything else is? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. Um, so that would be the nope, no choice. Yeah. Uh-huh. What do you think about this? I wanted to see what you think about this idea that we're just so, part of the physical world. Well, I think, yes, we are indisputably part of this physical world. I can't choose not to fall, mm. you know, mm-hmm. as gravity takes me. On the other hand, I think that's not the whole answer. Mm. Yeah, good. Say more. Can I ask you to <laughs> okay. say more? Okay. So I think there are there are ways in which the physical rules don't apply. They don't apply to our thought. Mm, for instance so then the question is are there things that do apply to our thought that we know or don't know yeah is that where you're going yeah good well good let's so i think i'm i think i want to i have my determinist hat on right now which i'm actually gonna like wiggle out of in a minute (laughs) but i think it's really interesting to kind of like think through the force of this position and then and then grapple with okay how, where do we go from there? Well, and I think, I mean, to that point of sort of sitting with that worldview, because I think the only way you can really get there is to sit with it for mm-hmm. a while. Mm-hmm. Good. And to think about, well, what what is or what do I perceive to be determined, controlled? Mm-hmm. Does everybody have that same experience? Maybe, maybe some people don't feel as controlled by mm-hmm. certain forces of nature or social forces or other kinds of things. And what are the possible forces working on me that I don't, I haven't yet named? I can name gravity, but what else is there that's similarly influential that I haven't yet described? Yeah, good, good. So does that help me wiggle? I think before we would go out, I want to come back to thought. Yeah. Because I think that you're right. I think that a lot of us feel like, well, sure, sure, right? Like you said, you know, if the train stops suddenly, I'm going to lurch forward mm-hmm. because of because of the laws of nature. Right. But thought seems somehow uniquely different, right? Mm-hmm. But the determinist is going to come back, right, and say, well... It feels different, but it's not clear that it really is uh, uh-huh. because, you know, thoughts are mental states. Mental states are brain states. Brains are physical, right, objects. Right. And um, in turn, they are kind of guided by uh, the laws of nature. And so it, it certainly feels like we're choosing things, right, but but maybe we're not, mm-hmm. Um Let's talk about maybe breakfast. Mm-hmm. What did you have for breakfast this morning? I had a quinoa, arugula, avocado salad with a fried egg on top. Oh, my goodness. It was really that good. sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it was much better than my raisin bran, it sounds like. Uh, okay, great. Can you tell me, and presumably it feels like you chose to have that. I did. Right. Okay, I did. good. So let's talk about how did that choice come about? How, how did you choose that particular breakfast? I was actually joining a guest hmm. for breakfast. Okay. And she wanted to have an egg-based meal. Hmm. So I found a place between her hotel and the studio that served something that had, you know, that wasn't just baked goods for breakfast. Oh, good. That's how I ended up with that breakfast. Ah, good. Okay, interesting. So this is an interesting kind of observation, right? Because there's a sense in which your choice was somewhat determined, Mm. right? Yeah. By the guest's needs or preferences. Mm -hmm. And so while it feels like that's a choice you made, actually there are, again, these external forces guiding that choice. 
and you can kind of see we can just play this game right, right with right. with sort our, of endlessly yes exactly. well and of course the research in neuroscience and all mm. really does start to speak to you know this is what's going on in the brain there's 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 a there are identifiable patterns mm-hmm. there are electrical impulse rules yes, within the brain so yeah i can see where you could make that case absolutely yeah good so I think it's a very compelling case, mm-hmm. but I do think there's a way to wiggle out okay. <laughs> of the free will, right. right? Because I do think we don't want to put ourselves in a position where, right? I certainly wouldn't want us to leave this conversation where the conclusion is, nope, we can't choose to be curious. <laughs> All right, that was fun. Bye. Right? Like throw your hands I up would, in the I, air. <laughs> I don't know if I could tolerate that answer. <laughs> Sure, understandably. All right, so how do we wiggle? Yeah, good. So we've talked about this philosophical view, determinism, and there's this this philosophical, another philosophical view called compatibilism uh-huh. uh, that I think gives us a nice little escape hatch here mm-hmm. that I'm really compelled by. And the compatibilist says, maybe we don't have free will. Mm-hmm. Maybe, that might be right. But we should live our lives as if we do. Mm. And mm-hmm. I, I really like this, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. it, it gives us somewhere to go apart from like, okay, well, I guess that well, was that's that. the end of that conversation. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I, I think about compatibilism co- kind of connected to moral philosophy, some of the stuff I was talking about earlier, where, you know, even if my moral behaviors are in some ways determined uh, or others are, I still want to live my life as if I do have choice right. about the moral decisions that I make or the moral person that I want to be. So... You know, I don't want to throw my hands up in the air. Oh, well, I might as well just be a jerk because it's all like determined, right? I still want to strive, whatever that means, right, right to be a kind person. Uh, and compatibilism also encourages us to hold others accountable for their kind of decisions and right, choices that they don't as well. get to. Well, you know, it was all it was all written in the cards. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's encouraging us to. To live as if we do have choice, uh-huh. right? It proposes that we we live better lives, we live in better relationships mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we, you know, when we kind of set aside the question: Do we have choice? Right. The question of whether we do or don't have choice, and instead focus on how would we want to live if we did. You're listening to Choose to Be Curious: Conversations about Curiosity in Work and Life. I'm your host, Lynn Wharton, and I'm joined today by philosophy professor Asia Farron. We're talking about whether or not we can, in fact, choose to be curious. This is so interesting because this is kind of like the the the, the choice version of Pascal's wager, right? Mm. Do oh, I believe good. in God or yes. do I not believe in God? Well, all things considered, you know, even if there isn't a God, believing in God has no downside. And if there is a God, believing in God... That's a better. That's a better choice. Yes, so, good. So this idea, I like this. I like this a lot. This idea of whether or not I have the choice to be curious or whatever. Mm-hmm. If I proceed mm-hmm. and conduct myself in ways that suggest that I do, that's a better wager. That's a better yeah, choice. Yeah, good. Yeah, I, like I love that. this analogy. I or the comparison. I don't think I've ever put those two together. Mm. That's brilliant. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Because there are there are constraints, right? Mm-hmm. On curiosity. Mm. There are you've yes, talked good. about this, right? I mean mm-hmm. there are like social constraints or yeah, so talk more about good. that. Yeah, good. So good. So okay. So I think that compatibilism gets us out the door. Right. 
But I want to be kind of thoughtful about where we go from there. Right. I'm skeptical of the idea that we have um, like, okay, great. So we put free, you know, determinism aside and now we can choose anything. We have a hundred percent right choice. And I don't think that's quite right either. So I don't think that determinism is a useful way to kind of think in the world, but I don't think this kind of like absolute free will uh, view is, is useful either because as you said, Um, we do know this kind of speaks to our experience and there is some interesting empirical work to suggest this, that, that our choices are shaped and constrained, Mm -hmm. right? In certain kinds of ways. I'm really interested. I'm, I'm kind of thinking right now about the way our choices are shaped, um, by social forces and by psychological forces. Yeah. So on the social side, there's this idea that comes up out of scholarship like in uh, feminist philosophy or critical race theory or disability studies really focusing on how um, our choices are shaped by the social world by Mm -hmm. social structures social institutions social expectations social norms and i think we're all kind of familiar with lots of these examples where uh, you know technically you know a young student in school maybe a young female student in school you know technically she can she can choose to participate in the science fair but if there's social messaging right Right. about who 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 scientists are what scientists look like what kinds of activities girls do and boys do then she might not make that choice so there's a sense in which that that she doesn't really have that choice or the so the choice again is kind of socially shaped So what I find really interesting and compelling about that, and it sort of challenges kind of a bias that I've had, um, is that you're saying that curiosity then is not an individual success or failure. It's really systemically driven, maybe not determined, but really influenced. Mm -hmm. And and that's, that's actually pretty important because my inclination has been to think, oh, someone who's incurious is, mm-hmm. is that's a that's a that's a choice, you mm-hmm. know, and a and a desire not to know and and to not go outside the known universe. But I shouldn't be so quick to judge. Yeah, good. I think that's right. Yeah, and I think that this is part of the this is the drawback of the, you know, yes, we have a hundred percent choice. We can do whatever we want in the right. world. I think the drawback right. is that. When someone makes a choice that we don't agree with or that we don't understand, it does become the individual's fault somehow. Right. I think that recognizing that choice is socially located, socially influenced, helps really introduce a little bit more compassion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, into our relationship with others. So the uh, this, there's this kind of second component or second way in which I think that uh, choices kind of shaped or constrained. Uh, so in addition to the social, there's psychological mm-hmm. forces or or influences, factors. Uh, so we know, for example, that we have implicit biases, where implicit biases are kind of these like associations we have between groups and concepts that are unknown to us. Uh-huh. That's certainly going to affect our curiosity, right? Yep. So if I associate a particular group of people, 
you know, with danger or fear, then I'm going to be less curious about them. And again, this is just kind of, I think that our experience, but we also know there's more, more psychological research on this, that uh, we have certain cognitive dispositions like uh, maybe, right, I'm anxious. And so again, if, if I'm anxious um, or conversely, right, if I'm an overly confident person, I'm going to be less curious Mm -hmm. about certain things in the world. And so that's something that we, I think we want to like be tapped into and, and kind of thinking about as we're figuring out what, you know, do we have choice or can we choose to be curious? I think we want to include not just these social considerations, but also these psychological considerations as well. And so what that means is that I just have a really complicated answer, right, (laughs) to this question, uh, can we choose to be curious, Uh, right? I think what I want to say there is in some cases for some people, right, in, you know, some ways, but I, but I think that's exciting. I hope that's exciting, right? I think it means that, you know, it's not this clear black and white. Yes, we have choice. We don't right. have choice. Right. But instead, there's this really interesting gray area that we get to explore, that we get to be curious about. Uh, and in turn, curiosity is, is going to be a complex enterprise. Th- figuring out how to facilitate uh, curiosity there are going to be lots of moving parts there. But I do think there's one place where we can all start. Mm-hmm. So so that, again, we don't kind of leave like, oh, my gosh, nothing matters in the world. I don't have choice about anything. I, I think we can choose to be curious about our curiosity. Oh, yeah. Right? So we can yeah. choose. So, so we can all just choose to think about or ask, our, ask ourselves, what are the ways in which my curiosity is shaped? by social forces or is shaped by, right, the kind of personality traits I have or my various psychological traits or decisions. So I encourage folks to be, to choose to be curious about uh, the where, the why, the how, the when of their curiosity. So you and I have been engaged in this work group Mm -hmm. on curiosity, mindfulness, and education, specifically looking at sort of what are the structures within education that would foster curiosity? And it seems to me that this, I hadn't thought about the choice question in mm-hmm. that context, but I'm seeing it here now in terms of, to your question about sort of, well, how do we help people figure out where and why and how to ask these questions and how do we create systems that make that safe for them or possible for mm-hmm. them? Thread those together for me, if you will. I think we take the idea that choosing to be curious is socially situated, socially Mm -hmm. influenced or constrained. I think we take that for granted at the level of education Mm. or maybe with children. Mm -hmm. So so I think you're exactly right. In a lot of our conversations, when we talk about, you know, how do we get our students to be more curious – it's clear we're thinking, okay, what do I need to do, right. right, Asia and Lynn? What do we need to do to facilitate curiosity? But we don't think about that, I think, so much at the the level of adults. Uh-huh. And again, I think it's because we have we have this narrative that, well, you know, they're adults and they can choose and, and they're autonomous, independent agents, right? We have that kind of like that idea in mind that we have people can choose. There's a 100% right freedom in the choices that we make 
Uh, and so, so really coming back to the free will literature helped me see that there's something, there's a way in which we're we're granting or being kind of compassionate at the level of students that that maybe we need to extend also to the adults in our lives. Oh. See, I thought we were having a conversation about choice, but it turns out we're having a conversation about compassion. Yeah, that might be right. <laughs> well, and and again, this is where that escape hatch, I love it so much because it it gives us the room to talk about not just whether we do or don't have choice, but what kind of model of choice best serves us? Mm, mm-hmm. it, it becomes a question about usefulness or, or function or something like this, rather than some metaphysical question about, you know, how atoms work right. or something like that, or right, our cognitive mental states. I think that there, this is a really potentially uh, kind of rich or, or robust lens through which to look at choice. And yes, I I do have a soft spot in my heart for compassion and <laughs> right openness. I mean, and this is part of why I love the work that you're doing because you're I think you're really facilitating and fostering a lot of that. And so yeah, we get to include these values kinds of into this conversation now when we're talking about how, how do we want to how do we want to think about choice and choosing to be curious. Wow, I can't think of a better place to end. Oh my gosh, what a great line. But before we go, can I have you do my big yes. jar one of oh, the analogies? Yes, I'm so excited. Okay, okay. So reach in, take a slip. I'm going to take one. I'll take one for the audience. And we're going to make analogies to curiosity with whatever is on the slip. So I have an envelope. How is curiosity like an envelope? Um, an envelope is something you you put things into and you send them off someplace else. And I think curiosity is both a repository for for ideas and things in the way that an envelope might be. But I think kind of to our conversation that curiosity in its highest form is also something that gets shared and gets sent outward. Mm. So that's how I, that's mm. how what I'll say about I curiosity. That. That's and beautiful. Envelope. Yeah. Thanks Thank so you. So what do you have? I have um, hopscotch. Oh, how is curiosity like hopscotch? Hopscotch. Um, I think curiosity is like hopscotch insofar as it's very playful, Mm. kind of open and exciting, kind of got a really nice bounce to it. Uh, Oh, nice. Uh, And I I also kind of like that there's an ebb and flow to Uh the shape as well. Uh, So something that kind of comes out and in and out and in. I like it. I like it. Yeah, very nice. And audience, how is curiosity like scotch tape? Oh, nice. (laughs) Let me know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. How is curiosity like scotch tape? Well, Asia, thank you so much for this. This is great. We have so much more to talk about, clearly. I'm excited to continue the conversation. Indeed. Indeed we do. You've been listening to Choose to be Curious. You can hear all my previous shows on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you follow me there and on social media at Choose to be Curious, where you can also share your scotch tape analogy, hashtag analogy. Special thanks to my guest, Asia Farron, for setting us in a lovely shade of gray that I think suits the enterprise just beautifully. Our theme and other music are by Sean Ballack. I hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, I'll still say, choose to be curious.